This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Steve Guglielmi, one of the editors here at Knowledge at Wharton, and today we're speaking with uh, Professor Sergei Netasin, who is a professor in the Operations, Information, and Decisions Department here at Wharton. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Sergei. Uh, thank you for having me, Steve. Uh, the title of the paper that we're talking about today is Selling Off-Grid Light to Liquidity-Constrained Consumers, and maybe we should start by talking about what exactly is off-grid light. Um, off-grid light is... Uh, uh standard way to solve the access to electricity problem in many countries where there is simply no uh, electrical grid as we know it. Uh, you know, many years ago, Thomas Edison, in his infinite wisdom, invented, you know, electrical lights and, you know, poles and transformers and all of those things that allow us to just plug in a light bulb into the wall and, and it works. Now, most countries in the world uh, don't have this luxury. And, you know, by most, I literally mean most, like almost no country in Africa, for example, has a fully developed uh, grid. So they have to uh, create electricity in other ways. Um, typically, this would involve some kind of uh, an electrical generator if a country is a little richer. You know, say we take Philippines, we take Indonesia. Uh, these are countries with thousands of islands um, and they're relatively wealthy so they can afford this kind of a solution. Um, now, if we take uh, poorer countries, countries with lower uh, GDP, countries in Africa, some countries in Asia, they cannot even afford that. So in this case, what they use is a very, very basic solution, which is a kerosene burning lamp. And I'm assuming that's very toxic. Uh, well, there are many, many problems with kerosene and toxic is uh, just one problem. Uh, millions of children every year get severely burned by kerosene because you just tip over the lamp and it keeps burning. Um, then there are issues with the quality of light. You know, it's a yellowish kind of light. So if you try to do any kind of a homework, um, that's not good for your eyes. Uh, but what I would say is the biggest problem is that kerosene is actually three to four times, sometimes even more than that, more expensive than, say, uh, electrical uh, light. Um, and this is really, really uh, puzzling that people continue using kerosene uh, given that it's so expensive because we are talking about countries where people live on two to three dollars a day and so for them such a significant cost difference should lead them to adopt cheaper um, ways to use electricity but what led us really to this research is the realization that people still use kerosene despite all of the bad things that come out of it. I, I don't even go into, you know, harm to the environment and so on. You know, of course, if you are uh, living on 2 to $3 a day, maybe it's not the biggest concern that you have, but that is a, consider that is a consideration as well. Right. So what are, what are the alternatives that you looked at in this paper? Um, so uh, there are quite a few alternatives. Uh, the natural that comes to mind is, uh, of course, solar light, because we are talking, say, about Africa. Let's, let's take, uh, you know, countries is, uh, at the equator, they get plenty of sunlight, and so solar is a natural solution. The problem is, even with the cheapest solar batteries that exist now, we are talking about seventy to hundred dollars per battery. 
um, to feed uh, uh, with electricity a household, and and that's just unaffordable. This is two three months worth of income, and uh, remember that you know in these countries uh, people don't save; they are unbankable essentially. And they live on uh, their income that they get day to day from usually subsistence farming. So, you know, whatever they they, uh, kind of catch, they eat. uh, And whatever is left over, they sell. So that does not work very well. Um, So this is why um, a particular solution got uh, our attention. And the solution was proposed by a startup company, which is called Nuru Energy, um, and Nuru Energy uh, created uh, a very interesting ecosystem where they would basically give uh, people heavily subsidized light bulbs uh, with, a, with a little rechargeable battery. And then they would find what they call a, a village level entrepreneur, a person who would uh, be a little bit more wealthy and who would be willing to invest into a re- rechargeable bicycle and that's really like a stationary bicycle that you pedal for about 20 minutes and you can recharge uh, five light bulbs stacked on each other and you know this is this is sustainable this this is quick right so remember solar still requires several hours to recharge right and this person he or she typically would run a, a little shop in the center of the city uh, or a village rather and uh, he would own this bike and then people would come to him or her and pay uh, a little fee typically 10 cents or so for recharge and 5 cents would go to the entrepreneur and 5 cents would go to Nuru Energy. Oh, that sounds like a great solution. So what, what did you find in your research? Uh, what was preventing people from adopting this technology? So, um, of course, if you look at this business model, um, they heavily subsidize bulbs. Uh, so the only way to really make money for Nuru um, in the long run is um, if people come and recharge relatively often. And what we found, which was, again, you know, continuation of this puzzle that people continue using kerosene, uh, people would get the bulb and they might even come once or twice. But then very quickly, uh, some of them would just basically disappear and never come back. Or they would come so rarely that the business model really would not pay for itself. Uh, So this was a bit puzzling because, as I said, you know, the price difference is, is, is pretty monumental. We are talking three, four, five, eight times um, in certain cases because kerosene is usually only sold on gray market. Uh, prices have nothing to do with old oil prices um, and they fluctuate a lot day to day. Right? On the other hand, here you have a sustainable, clean, high quality of light solution which uh, does not have fluctuating prices, which does not have any of those minuses of the kerosene, but people were still not recharging as much as um, company wanted them. Uh, and this led us to uh, to look into this issue. And uh, what we discovered was, you know, in retrospect, it may seem kind of like an obvious um, uh, conclusion, but was not obvious to us at all in the beginning. So imagine you have a very uncertain income. You don't know if you're going to have an extra, you know, 10 cents or 20 cents today or tomorrow. And of course, light is not your um, priority, right? So you first spend on foods and you spend maybe on health, you know, on other things. And then um, whatever is left, you kind of uh, spend on light. Uh, the problem with electrical recharges is unless you have a certain amount, which is a cost of recharge, you just don't have enough money. 
And so even when people get a bulb and they decide, okay, I'm going to now accumulate a bit of money to go and recharge next week, next week comes and you don't have this money and kids need to do homework. You need to do some work in the backyard after sunset. Um, what do you do? You say, well, maybe I'll go and buy kerosene just this one time, okay? Because kerosene, you can buy, you know, a little bit, you can buy a gallon, you can buy an ounce. It, it, it's fraction, you know, any fraction you can buy. It's just a matter of uh, price, right? And so people would go and buy a little bit of kerosene, which would bring them even further from recharging the light bulb. And this is kind of a vicious cycle, so that's that's what really has been happening. So uh, the rechargeable bulbs were just not flexible enough. You could not pay them in tiny little increments, and even ten cents that people had to pay that was a lot for them. So so what are what are some of the ways of overcoming these obstacles? Um, so so there are some technological ways. For example, um, the way originally the bulbs were designed, you can either charge the whole bulb for ten cents or none at all. Now, technologically, it's not very hard to put a little indicator and say, okay, I don't have enough money for the whole bulb. Let's get a half bulb, a quarter of a bulb, or one eighth, right? So that's a that's a relatively cheap, you know, solution. Uh, the bulb would cost a little bit more because of the indicator, but it's not a deal breaker. Yeah. Um, there are other solutions you can you can make. For example, it has been shown that you can actually help uh, people in those countries save money. For example, if you can get them to prepay, whenever they have a cent left, you know, they send this cent to the company and it kind of accumulates, right? Because otherwise, uh, uh, people in, in, in this kind of economy, they don't really have the culture or the mechanism to save. But they do have a pretty uh, ingenious pay payment mechanism. For example, uh, uh, a famous uh, company by now, M-Pesa, um, handles a significant percentage of GDP of many African com countries. And all you do is you transfer money using SMSs, right? So, you know, they can transfer one cent at a time and over time it will accumulate. So it kind of becomes like a savings mechanism. So, so based on your research, are you hopeful that this business model could work down the line? Well, uh, most definitely. Of course, our paper was a bit more on the theoretical side. And in practice, you, you run into many, many other behavioral issues and, you know, adoption issues and this and that. So as a follow-up, what we are doing now, we are running uh, in collaboration with University of Cape Town and a couple of other institutions, a huge randomized control trial where we play with various terms of engagement. For example, should you give this village-level entrepreneur 50%? of the fee or maybe 60 or maybe 40 you know maybe he'll work harder and he'll say okay guys you know i'll just go around and collect the bulbs and bring them to the charging bicycle and you know pedal and so on if maybe he had a bigger stake in the game right so we're experimenting with that we're experimenting with habit formation you know maybe if you give people first three four charges for free or at a very highly discounted price then they'll get into this mode okay next week i need 10 cents so you know let me let me accumulate that and we are also looking at a host of other issues uh, for example gender issues because uh, usually 
people who suffer most from lack of light are women who work at home versus their husbands might be working somewhere in the field and, you know, by the dawn, they don't need the light anymore. Uh, we are looking at um, educational issues because children are affected a lot. They come from home, from school and then they need to do a homework and again, they don't they don't have the light and so on and so forth. So that's the that's next stage. Well, it sounds like there's a lot to explore there. Yeah, uh, most of... definitely. And it's a big uh, experiment with about 240 villages in Rwanda involved uh, with the support of the government and, you know, a couple of uh, international organizations. Um, it, it's very hard to um, predict whether a particular business model, especially such a novel one, would work in, in an economy like Rwanda. You know, when, when you sit in your first world economy and you try to come up with something that would work in Africa, Uh, you can come up with all kind of crazy things, but the only way to know is really to experiment and, and try it and see if it works. Well, great. Thank you so much for speaking with us about this today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.